Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Jeff Socha. He is the senior advisor and founding partner at ARC Financial Group, which is a business and financial planning firm based in Austin, Texas. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Jeff. Hey, thanks for having me, Jordan. Just start a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Oh, geez, I'm not sure you want me to start all the way back uh, maybe when I was born, but we'll fast forward and just say that I was fortunate to grow up in a family-owned business that my grandfather started back in 1950. It was a construction company, and it gave me an early exposure to not only work ethic and learning the value of a dollar, but learning how to how to manage a paycheck uh, at a young age and how to start saving. Hired my first uh, financial advisor when I was 15 years old uh, from saving up in the summers. But it also gave me an exposure to some of the challenges of entrepreneurship and uh, taxes and things like that that business owners have to deal with. And I think it really planted a lot of the seeds for where I'm at now after having gone to Texas A&M for an undergrad and I spent five years lobbying for a couple of different PACs on tax legislation uh, before going to Harvard Business School. And now we're out there trying to help entrepreneurs and private business and successful people all over the country. One of the things you talk about a lot on your website is tax efficiency. So what do you mean by that? What are some uh, steps that people are taking now, particularly small business people, that are tax inefficient that they can do better? Yeah, you know, the first thing, and this isn't going to be what most people are going to want to hear, but the first thing is actually taking time to plan proactively. You have to first start looking at taxes and thinking about, okay, how are you managing your taxes? Uh, especially if you are a small business, self-employed, you, you own a company, uh, taxes are going to be one of your largest expenses, yet most people don't spend any time proactively managing it. So if you had a vendor or you had some other uh, major expense, maybe payroll or material or something in your uh, uh, finances, you're going to put a lot of time into managing those expenses and, and making sure that you're efficient with them to increase your profit and your income. So step one is actually just saying, hey, I'm going to stop being the reactive uh, type of person that just goes to the CPA in the spring, like around this time of year, and saying, hey, here's what happened last year. Can you pull any magic tricks to make last year look better than it does from a tax standpoint? So proactive planning looks like, first of all, recognizing that the activity that you have in the calendar year is what drives the amount of tax you pay. It's not really a CPA's ability to fill out a form better than the next guy. So you have to first be proactive and say, okay, I'm going to work on the current calendar year and I'm going to look at what are the deductions that I've not been taking? What deductions are out there that I could be taking? What are the smart money moves I could make in order to uh, uh, lower my tax bill the next spring? So, uh, okay, that's for businesses. How about for individuals? Now, we've had this new tax law that came into effect at the end of 2017 the vast majority of Americans, 80, 85%, are going to take the standard deduction today. So no matter what the deduction, whether it be charitable or mortgage interest or state property taxes, whatever it may be, it's all gone away. 
So what are some things that the average individual can do if they're going to take a standard deduction that can significantly reduce their taxes? Sure. So if you're taking the standard deduction, there's not going to be a whole lot else you can do. Because if you're getting paid and your income is on a W-2, you know, the, the main deductions you're going to have with the new tax law, you lost, you know, most of your, your deductions above $10,000 for the state and local taxes. So unless you have significant health care expenses, charitable uh, donations, et cetera, that are going to get your itemized deductions up above the standard deduction, then there's not going to be a whole lot you can do. One thing that we've seen people do and we've helped people uh, is to take a look at their finances, though, on a multi-year basis instead of just a year-by-year basis. So, for example, you might pay two years' worth of property taxes in the same year, but you might already be over the 10000 so you're going to be capped there. So another way you could look at that would be to say maybe you're charitable and you donate every year. But maybe you could try to say, well, what if I didn't donate every year, but I donated every other year, but I donated twice as much, and then it would kick me up above the standard deduction, and I could start claiming more itemized deductions if I kind of lump deductions into one year. So maybe every other year I get more write-offs because of the way that I'm lumping those donations and deductions and expenses. Yeah. You talk about New Year's resolutions, financial resolutions. One of the things you say is to start a side hustle to produce extra income, particularly if you're in retirement or near retirement. What are some legitimate side hustles that people can do uh, to generate extra income? Oh, in today's labor market, when when I think everybody that's employable that wants a job has a job, you know, if you've got capacity and time and willingness and, and work ethic, uh, you can for sure find a job as a contractor just about anywhere you know, I would I would first recommend finding what your passion is and starting there uh, because that's going to make that side hustle not really feel like extra work. So whatever your passion is, you'll probably be able to find a job or find some part-time income that will pay you as a contractor. One of the benefits about getting paid as a contractor and getting paid as 1099 is you can have that income uh, categorized, whether it's on Schedule C or you might even set up your own LLC. That gives you access to all the business deductions that are out there. So now all of a sudden, uh, that computer that you're using is a deductible expense for this side hustle. And that cell phone that you need is a deductible expense for this side hustle. And all of a sudden, all these things in your life that were not deductible before, now all of a sudden become deductible because they're part of this new venture. So. I don't really care whether it's you like golf and want to start teaching golf lessons or, um, you know, you're great at, at Excel and want to do some freelance work uh, online. So, so whatever it is, I would say follow your passion and your skills, and it won't feel like work, but it'll give you access to a whole range of, of business deductions you didn't have before. How do you prove to the IRS that the business, the side hustle you're talking about, is a legitimate business and not a hobby? Because uh, they may challenge it and say, you know, you're getting all these deductions, but it's not really a business. I guess you have to show the intention to earn a profit, but if you don't, I mean, it's always a thin line there. H- how can you do that, take all those deductions you're talking about, but not get in trouble? I think the big difference there that, that you would need to have on your side is, is revenue. So a hobby generally is going to look like expenses without revenue, and a new business venture or side hustle is going to look like something that has revenue 
it might not be profitable in the beginning. It might may be that you're operating at a break even. But, um, you, you know, a new business venture is definitely going to have revenue. So if you think, well, I'm going to be a, a fishing guide and just go buy a bunch of fishing equipment and write it all off as, as an expense, but I never actually book a trip and I never have any revenue, that's going to be a hard one to get over. But, you know, if, if you've got revenue and you're booking trips and whatnot and, and you're showing that, that you're taking customers out, the profitability aspect, I think, is less concerning than, than just showing that you have revenue and you, you have an active business. Yeah. Another thing you recommend is that people rent out a property, uh, either an entire house or rooms in their house like an Airbnb. Is that a significant source of income for people? Well, you know, there's an interesting uh, part of the tax code, Section 280AG, says that you can rent your residence for 14 days a year and you don't have to claim it as income. So, you know, if you, if you have a business, maybe you rent it out to your business for business functions. Uh, but if you don't have a business, you know, maybe you do take a look and say, hey, you know, there's probably 14 days of the year that, that we're going to be gone or wouldn't mind taking a weekend trip and letting somebody stay in our house. And you can have that income come into yourself personally. And it, it's not even reportable. You don't have to uh, pay any taxes on it. So, Depending on the house that you live in, maybe that's you know five hundred bucks a night times fourteen nights, you get seven thousand dollars of tax-free income. Yeah. What is your outlook for the tax code? We had this major change at the end of two thousand seventeen. Uh, if uh, President Trump gets reelected, or say you get a Democrat in, do you think we'd see a major change in the tax code? You know, I'm not sure. I, I think if we if we have an election where Trump doesn't get elected. Uh, some of the candidates on the other side have some, some uh, pretty strong and, and I guess, um, extreme in the sense that, that they'd be uh, really new taxes that they've talked about levying on, on the public. And so, um, you know, you could see some big tax changes if you see kind of a regime change there. But if, if Trump gets reelected, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that he's going to get uh, another major tax overhaul passed in the second term, but we might have continue to have some kind of uh, minor adjustments. I mean, the 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 tax law that became effective January of 2018 was probably one of the biggest tax overhauls since uh, since Reagan uh, was yeah. president. So, so I don't think you're going to see those come around very often. Uh, He's talking about another tax cut, tax cut 2.0. If Trump did get reelected, do you think there would be an additional tax cut of some type. I, I do think that, you know, Trump believes in, in cutting taxes to spur the economy. And so I, I don't doubt that he's going to try to push that through. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not it becomes uh, successful and to what extent, you know, the changes uh, bring. So so the changes that we had last go around were, were pretty strong. So the changes we might have this coming round uh, might might not be as strong, or, or you know, they could even be stronger. But but I, I do think he'll definitely try. And if you go the other way, say Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren wins, what do you think would be the impact of a wealth tax? I think I think it would uh, look like a revolt from the wealthiest Americans for sure. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite sure how that would go. We haven't really seen that happen in our country and and if you if you come in and you just start taxing people's net worth 
you know, there's already issues you see with the government fighting with organizations like Apple, let's say, who hold billions of dollars overseas and sort of this non-tax residency uh, status where they're not paying any tax, but they're also not bringing the money back, which is why the government is trying to incentivize repatriation of, of these dollars. But, you know, I, I think the wealthiest Americans that would be affected by the wealth tax have the resources to probably implement some of the similar strategies. So you might end up seeing a lot of wealth transferred out of the United States, which could actually have a real negative impact on our economy. I would not expect the wealthiest Americans to just sit around and take it and say, sure, let's write a huge check to you just because you said so. I would expect um, a lot of increased revenue for financial services and tax planners, attorneys, et cetera, to structure ways for them to, to do something similar to what the corporations have been doing. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Jeff Socha. He's the senior advisor and founding partner at ARC Financial Group, a business and financial planning firm based in Austin, Texas. You can find out more at his website, arcfinancial.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Your leadership journey must be a continuous process of education and improvement. If you think you've learned all you need to know, think again. Find out the latest from contemporary authors on topics from character to values and everything in between. Discover insights into servant leader fundamentals along with your host, Tom Crea. Tune into Your Evolving Leadership Journey, Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as thrived as thrived as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, Decide that you have something to say and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jeff Soha. He is a senior advisor and founding partner at ARC Financial Group, a business and financial planning firm based in Austin, Texas. You can find out more about him and his firm at arcfinancial.com. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Hey, Jordan. Good to be chatting. So as far as the economy, the consensus is that we're growing at 2 2.5%. Interest rates are going to stay low. The stock market's going to keep soaring. Unemployment's going to stay low. Everything is great. So is that your view as well? I believe we'll see that continue at least through November of this year. Uh, we've got an administration who really needs that as one of their uh, campaign points to get reelected. So I would look to see you know pressure put on the feds and any other uh, department and agency involved in order to keep the economy going really strong, I mean, if, if you elect a, a business person to be the president of the country, you're going to expect the business of the country to be doing well. And so, you know, if the economy were to fall before November, uh, you know, that would really, that would really, really hurt the reelection uh, chances. But you don't think it's going to happen because they're going to do whatever they can. So you have right. no worries about an impending recession at all then. Is that right? I don't believe in 2020, uh, but you know the statistic that keeps me up at night is just knowing that every 12 years that we have uh, data, we've had two recessions, which would be a 20% decline. And the last time we had one was 2008. So uh, 2008 plus 12 years puts us in 2020. Now, you know, before that statistic was ever 12 years, it was 11, and so maybe this will be the cycle that changes that statistic to two recessions every 13 years, but I just don't see it going on forever. So, you know, just a personal opinion and theory would be that uh, if I'm looking out for a recession, it's more likely going to come after November. And so we might start to see the effects in 2021. What would uh, be the catalyst for that? You know, you would, you would have to see some pretty strong changes. Right now, the economy looks as strong as it's ever been. So you would have to see something uh, that, that's almost unforeseen at this point to, to take it out. It could be something, you know, in, in um, uh, the debt of the country or the debt of the, the public. Uh, it could be something in, uh, uh, you know, some of the foreign trade negotiations that we have going on. It'll be interesting to see if, if Trump gets reelected, how China and he continue to battle that out. Uh, that's something to keep an eye on, um, you know, and inflation is an important uh, aspect to keep an eye on. Interest rates are important. So there's a lot of categories, but the one that we've most uh, uh, closely hit uh, over the past 12 months has been an inverted yield curve where short-term interest rates uh, uh, were going to be, you know, uh, above long-term interest rates. And, and if long-term interest rates uh, don't stay above short-term, uh, you know, that's going to trigger us into a recession. So, so that, that's probably one of the metrics that I would be looking at the most. Yeah. Uh, now, we have these huge deficits of a trillion dollars a year or more. Does this worry you? It doesn't seem to worry anybody anymore. Nobody even mentions it. Is this something of a concern to you? It's a big concern long-term, not a big concern short-term. You know, right now, I think there's no other um, country on the planet that could replace the United States as the world's reserve currency. And until that changes, uh, the U.S. will get away with continuing to balloon the debt. 
But once that does change, uh, that that's when the U.S. will have a real problem. So but what would be the right impact now, of that? There doesn't seem to be yep. an economy that that could step up into that into that place. The yeah. the impact of that, you know, being the reserve currency means that when you have countries like China uh, or other countries that have surplus, they have to put their surplus somewhere. And so the U.S. just continuing to issue more debt um, is the place for them to store their currency. But if there were another uh, institution on the planet that people felt like was as safe or more secure than the United States, then that would become uh, the place where their surplus goes. And then they would stop buying the U.S. debt. And if they stop buying it, then uh, we run out of money. So... Um, I think long term, that is something that we've got to be concerned about. But in the near future, it doesn't look like any other economy is set to uh, take us out of that position. Some would say that Bitcoin or some kind of a cryptocurrency could be the new uh, haven, I guess you might say. Does that have a future, you think? Yeah, I think it's still too early to tell. I, th I think anything's possible, but uh, that's why I'm saying for the for the near term, I don't see another currency being able to replace the U.S. dollar. Uh, long term, I think anything's possible. Yeah. So you're saying things are going to go fine for this year, but possibly a recession in 2021. What kind of steps should people be taking with their businesses and their investing to prepare for a potential downturn? That's a great question. So when a recession comes, I think you're going to have two types of reactions from people. You're going to have one that that are very terrified, they're very scared, they're very concerned, and you're going to have another that is very excited and very happy. And, and the difference is going to be the amount of liquidity that the people have. So if, if you're running scared in a recession, it's probably because you're over-leveraged, you're over-committed, and you don't have much liquidity. And if you're really excited when the recession comes, it's probably because you're sitting on a lot of liquidity ready to go on a shopping spree. So when times are good, like they've been, and they've been for you know a decade now, people tend to forget about the last recession. And so they don't mind uh, in going all in on investments and all in on leverage. And they don't have a healthy appreciation for liquidity and keeping some safe money laying around. So you know when the recession comes, if you've built up liquidity, you're going to have the opportunity to buy things at a huge discount. Uh, if you can remember back to 2009, it was like the whole world was on sale. You could buy a new car cheaper than a used one. You know, real estate was on fire sale everywhere. Uh, stocks were on sale. Everything was on sale. So in order to take advantage of the sale, you have to have some liquidity. So if, if there's one thing that you should be doing between now and the next time the recession comes, it should be saving as much money as possible. Because yep. if, you can't, if you can't save money when times are as good as they are right now, it's not going to be better or easier later. It's only going to be harder later. Yeah. You talk in your website about your proprietary four-phase approach to financial planning. What are those four phases? Well, so the first phase is where we start to diagnose somebody's situation, and that begins with discovery and understanding the details involved in a person's uh, finances and their business, their personal life, etc. And then using the team of Highly educated, uh, you know, personnel with with all the advanced designations and degrees in the financial world that we have on our team here. Uh, we've developed our own software systems to take all that data and discovery that we've done and and run it through that system 
to find all the improvement opportunities. And generally, we're able to save people a lot more than whatever they pay us in fees. That's one of our big value propositions is just saying, hey, we commit to pay for ourselves. And the way we do that is just looking for any quantified value that clients are not taking advantage of. And you might find that in their tax returns. You might find that in their investment accounts. If they own a business, you'll find it as you cut up the P&L and start dissecting the P&L. So that's what it looks like to go through and, and build a value creation plan for someone. So those are the four uh, segments then. So, yep. so do, do you deal with people all over the country or mostly in Texas where you are? Great question. We've got clients all over the country. We've actually got international clients where we only deal with their United States finances. But yeah, these days, thanks to technology, we can work just about anywhere. And then on the investment side, do you have a minimum amount you need to invest for them? And are you an RIA and you take a, a fee? How does that work on the investment side? Yeah, we do have an investment firm. We do have our own registered investment advisory. And we don't have so much of a minimum asset as much as we have a minimum fee. You know, our minimum fee, it takes about $1,000 a month for us to provide our clients the, the minimum service that we like to offer. So uh, depending on the amount of assets they have, uh, you know, they might have to pay a higher percentage in order to get to the minimum fee. What are some of the, the uh, kind of warning signs, I guess you might say, when people looking for a financial advisor that's somebody they shouldn't go with? What I tell my friends and family is I say, hey, listen, one question you should ask is, do they have a broker dealer? And I know there's lots of people out there with broker dealers that would hate me for saying this, but broker dealers uh, pay commissions for investments, for selling investments. And whenever you're signed up with one, they have a huge influence over how the advisor gets paid. And that influence is going to create a conflict of interest. And so I tell people just quite simply, forget talking to them about whether or not they're a fiduciary because there's all these crazy rules in our country about how you can be a fiduciary in one case and not in the next. And it's, it's really unclear and confusing to the uh, clients and consumers. So I just tell people, look, ask them if they have a broker dealer. If they have a broker dealer, thank them for their time, get up and walk out of the meeting. Find yourself uh, uh, an advisor that does not have a broker dealer that can actually be a fiduciary first, doesn't have some other compensation scheme that is influencing their advice. Very good. In about a minute we still have left, kind of sum up what difference it would make for people to work with you instead of financial advisors in this current environment. I think at the end of the day, they're going to have a firm they, they can trust to be on their side of the table. Uh, I don't think that you're going to find another firm in the country that is as intense about fighting for delivering value to clients as we are. I mean, our, our focus and intensity around quantified value creation is what uh, drives our whole firm and our whole client experience. So instead of just being concerned around uh, getting somebody a great uh, birthday card or Christmas present or client appreciation gift, we feel like the best gift we can give them is a positive return on their engagement with our firm. So if you want a firm that's really, really focused on that, that's the difference. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest for this half hour has been Jeff Soha. He is a senior advisor and founding partner at ARC Financial Group, which is a business and financial planning firm based in Austin, Texas. You can find out more about what he was discussing at his website, arcfinancial.com. 
Thanks so much for being on the, the uh, Money Answer Show, Jeff. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks. We're going to go for a break, and then we're going to come back after this with another guest, Arwen Becker. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaches reaches a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Arwen Becker. She is a financial advisor, speaker, and owner of Becker Retirement Group based in Bellevue, Washington. Her website is beckerretirement.com. Welcome to the show, Arwen. Thank you so much for having me. Just give us your history briefly and how you got to running the firm you're running today. Oh, Jesus. Uh, well, um, March 20th, 2000, I was a 24-year-old divorced zoology grad. <laughs> so I ended up needing to uh, find a job instead of working in wildlife to actually pay the bills. And so I ended up landing a position in a retirement planning firm. And that was, as I said, March 20th, 20 years ago. And I work with my husband, um, specifically in the area of retirement planning. So one of your biggest concerns is how women are uh, living longer and not taking care of their finances. Just give us a sense of the, the broad picture of that. What is the problem here as far as women living longer and not being as financially well off as men? Well, I mean, it's really interesting because uh, in the year 1900, the average life expectancy was 47 for men and women. So the fact that women um, you know, and men live into their 80s, um, longevity is now the biggest risk that people face because retirement didn't really even exist 120 years ago. And so specifically for women, um, there's just a, a lot of times a pretty significant disconnect 
between um, doing planning and getting involved in that and um, making sure that they're putting themselves in a position where they are really solely responsible, whether married or not, for their financial picture. And, um, you know, if you just kind of look at some of the basic statistics, um, 80% of men die married, which means 80% of women die single. So I always say that likely you're going to be the last woman standing. So if you don't have a handle on that now, you better start getting involved in it because at some point you're likely going to be handling it. So why do you think women aren't more involved in their finances? Is this a generational thing? Are younger women more involved than older women? You know, I, I think that there's part of it that's just been perpetuated because the industry has had a, a little bit of a tough time making the shift in the fact that women are about 50% of the breadwinners in the home. Women make the majority of the financial decisions. But um, really, it comes down to time. Even if a woman is um, working outside the home, um, if they have children, the likelihood that she would still be taking care of the kids is pretty high. And so there's only so much time in a day to really handle this piece of it. So a lot of times women will still defer that off to their spouse and have them take care of that part of it, which unfortunately puts them in a position where they often don't really have a good handle on what they have, where it's at, and what that looks like for them long term. So a lot of women, particularly older, like 60, 65 plus, are getting divorced these days, much older than they used to. Yeah. What is the, what is the financial impact of divorce on older women? It's massive. Um, so they actually call it gray divorce. It's the largest segment of the population getting divorced now, people who've been married longer than 25 years. So men typically in the following years um, make more at their work, and they also come away with more assets, whereas for a woman, she's going to go backwards on both. And so that really puts women in a very, very precarious position because women will spend a large amount of their lives on average, about 15% of their lives taking care of kids or taking care of ailing parents. So that means that she's not putting into her social security. She's not putting into a company plan. And now all of a sudden, if she finds herself divorced, she has a lot less to draw off of, yet she needs a greater percentage of assets because of the fact that longevity is the biggest risk that she faced. She's going to live longer uh, more often than her, you know, her ex-husband would. So if somebody came to you in that situation, they're say 65, everything you just said, they don't have built up that much of assets and they get divorced, how would you help a person like that? Well, I mean, that's a really specific question. I mean, part of it, you have to know really, you know, where are they at? Do they, are they really starting at less than zero? Or is, does it just mean that their assets have been split in half? Maybe they've got $150,000. They're still working, maybe planning on working for another five years or so. It's really about um, just taking a look at the whole picture, seeing where we might be able to come up with ideas. Gosh, I've seen women are so scrappy when they need to be. I've, I'm always amazed at how I've seen women reinvent themselves, but um, that could be having renting a room out in their house to be able to get some other income. That could mean um, hosting out, you know, international students, and a lot of women make a pretty good income off of that. Um, it could just mean working in a different industry than maybe not necessarily what they had been, but still being able to bring in some other income um, that's going to be able to help them do some of the things they want or continue putting away into a company plan and things of that nature. Yeah. What are some of the biggest fears that women have around money, particularly if they're not that into it, they haven't really been managing it that much? What are some of their biggest fears? Well, the biggest fear is the number one fear, which is running out of money. So, you know, it used to be before 2008, the biggest fear that people had was um, public speaking 
and then it was death. <laughs> so now it's running out of money and then death. So, um, you know, it was just that that was such a wake up call for so many people. And so, you know, really, it, it's that is the biggest fear. Am I going to run out of money? But I always say, kind of say it this way. Most women just want to answer this question. Tell me I'm going to be OK, which means you've got to take a look at all the pieces of the plan, because a lot of people, they do planning as in what I call microclimates, where they look at their Social Security and then they talk to their investment advisor and then they talk to their insurance person and then they talk to the pension provider at work and their CPA, yet they have no idea how it all works together collectively. And so that oftentimes is the biggest fear is people just don't understand how those pieces work together and those pieces oftentimes look a lot better than they expect. But so people really need to understand, especially women, you've got to be able to see how all these things work together collectively, and then you can make wise financial decisions once you know where you're at. It's just a lot of people don't, couples, singles, they just don't know where the heck they are. They don't know how these pieces function together, and that's the biggest part of retirement planning is really seeing this overlay of all these pieces together, and then where's the income going to come from? That's something that you do at Becker Retirement Group. So you're getting people in pre-retirement and retirement and looking at all the pieces combined. Is that the way it works? Exactly. Exactly. And most people, when they come to see us, they're 50, 55 to 65, somewhere in that range, either retired or thinking about retirement in the next five to 10 years. But they've never seen how all of these pieces function together, overlaid with taxes and market risk and Where's the income going to come from? What happens if my spouse needed health care and that drained some of the assets? What would that leave me? I mean, 80% of widows collecting Social Security live below the poverty line. And that's just unacceptable. I mean, the fact that most of them didn't when their spouse was living is just improper planning or no planning at all and relying on other people to handle that. And we're just in a day and age where, unfortunately, you just can't. As a woman, you've got to understand what kind of security you have. And if you don't have it, how you're going to attain it and not wait for somebody else to do it for you. So you're in an area near Bellevue, Washington, which is booming with all the technology companies, with Microsoft and Google and all the companies around there. Yet some people, I guess, are still struggling. Is there kind of a psychological block that comes up when it, these people who are struggling see everybody earning you know, stock options and doing very, very well? <laughs> you know, I think it's more out of um, the, I, I think there's, there, I see much more of a fear of I should have known this by now kind of feeling that I get or that I hear from the women I sit down with that they're embarrassed, that they, they're, they're shame, they feel shame because they haven't got this handled and now they're you know, 58, um, and they're widowed, or they're divorced, or they've just allowed their spouse to handle it for so long, and they realize they know nothing. Um, I see that a lot more. It's not so much that people are um, feeling totally broke and out of money, which, of course, I sit down with women who, who are kind of in that space, too, where, you know, there's a struggle to try and really help them plan for their future. But really, I see that more than anything, is that there's just this collective um, feeling amongst a lot of women that they should have known it by now and there's so much access to data and yet they don't and so a lot of them avoid planning altogether because of just sheer embarrassment and that's really what my company has pivoted and really focused on for the last three plus years of doing 80% women's events because I want to wake up our community and really communities across the nation zero question about it 
that there's a lot of women who are just too afraid to walk in a room and sit at a table and get educated about finance if men are in the room. It's just, it's sad, but true. And so a lot of them opt out of planning. And that's something that our company doesn't want, want to see. That's why we do so many women's events. Do you think a lot of financial planners in Wall Street in general don't treat women well enough and don't kind of educate them and it's mostly aimed at men? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I know a lot. I mean, my husband's a retirement planner and, and most of the, the financial advisors that work for us are male. So, you know, I, it's definitely not a male thing. It's just the fact that the industry has spoken such a masculine language for such a long time. It's having a really hard time p- just pivoting and adapting the message into a message that really resonates and lands with women where they, they really, truly go, oh, I get it. And they feel safe to be able to open up and start dialoguing about this. And so that's really just a, that's a huge part of this other company I have, Life with Arwen. It's leaders inspiring financial empowerment is what it means. But it's really being able to train other advisors around the country to be able to tap in and, and help communities around the nation of women who need this kind of education, that need to change this generational curse that many of them have fallen prey to. I guess... Wall Street looks at it as if they don't have a lot of money, they're not really interested in them because that's what they're all about is getting assets under management. And <laughs> Is that right? And, and I laugh at that. Um, let's just say my company, a 20-year-old company, when we um, started doing 80% women's events three years ago, the revenue for our firm doubled. So for advisors to tell me women don't have money, I think is absolutely laughable. Um, and the other part is that I also hear from the industry that they think women are flaky, that they don't show up, they're, you know, they cancel appointments. And that really pisses me off as a woman because of the fact I know that it's not that women are flaky, it's that they're busy. Women take care of children. Women take care of grandchildren. Women take care of their ailing parents way more than a brother would. Um, MIT did a study that an, an oldest daughter for a retiree is going to be worth about $1.2 million to them in retirement because she will be the one most likely to bear that burden. She will not work. She will take time away from her family. She will do the things to care for those people. And it's kind of hard to get too excited with a little bit of time you have to go in and sit down with a financial planner who kind of makes you feel not very valuable Uh or not very smart. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Um, my guest this hour is Arwen Becker. Uh, she is the uh, financial advisor uh, and owner of Becker Retirement Group. Uh, you can find out more about her at her website, beckerretirement.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards 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 paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Arwen Becker. She's a financial advisor, owner of Becker Retirement Group, based in Bellevue, Washington. Her website, beckerretirement.com. Welcome back to the show, Arwen. Thanks for having me. So one thing we were talking about was health care and women living longer, um, and Medicare is not going to take care of them. They have to go to a nursing home or assisted living, something like that. Do you think uh, long-term care insurance is a good idea, or should people assume they're going to qualify for Medicaid? Uh, well, you know, the conversation is an important conversation that needs to, have, needs to be had because, I, you know, seven out of ten people are going to need some form of long-term care. So it's definitely something we don't want to bury our head in the sand, but traditional long-term care necessarily isn't something we get excited about. I always think about that as more like uh, car insurance. You know, if you don't need it, you just end up wasting those premiums. And so there's a lot of great planning tools and add-ons to certain policies that can really help to fill that void. But it's definitely something that needs to be planned for. I mean, really, a lot of our clients are going to self-fund healthcare in some, uh, some, some way or fashion. So it's a conversation that if your advisor isn't having that with you, you have to ask why. Because a lot of those decisions are made when you're in good health, not when health is now starting to wane. Your options are, are oftentimes eliminated at that point. So as far as qualifying for Medicaid, it's a five-year look-back thing. Is that something a lot of people understand how to do correctly? You know, um, no, they don't. And we actually utilize a specialist here in town. So that is one of those areas that I, I really kind of stay out of when it gets to the specifics of that. We'll, we'll end up gathering a lot of the information and then we'll end up connecting them with a Medicare specialist that we have worked with for decades, really. Yeah. So another big issue for retirees is even if they have some capital, is earning income from it. I mean, CDs and money market funds are almost zero or very, very low. What do you recommend for people who have a certain amount of capital to live off the income when traditional bank products just don't really help? Yeah, we call it point nothing. That's what most people are getting at the bank and how right. it doesn't get you too excited. You know, um, for, for the majority of our clients, because they are in retirement and they are on fixed income, we often want to solve for their income gap that they have. So they stop working and now they've got this drop in income. We usually want to try and solve that utilizing tools and investments that are not going to be going up and down with the market. So we like to reserve the gross part of their retirement assets for things to battle longevity and inflation and maybe to be legacy planning for the future or potentially healthcare. But when we want to develop an income plan, just like when people were fortunate enough to have pensions, which are going the way of the dodo bird these days, right? Um, there, was, there was a way in which the, that was solved where you didn't put your money in a position where if the market tanked, you would lose it. 
And so oftentimes for our clients, we're going to be looking at tools like fixed indexed annuities where you get the upside of the market. I mean, really, that's what a pension is. It's just, a, um, it's just a, basically a corporate annuity that's given by an insurance company. And so um, for our clients, it's solving that oftentimes the same way where we're going to be looking at utilizing a tool that's going to the term annuity is steady stream of payments where it's going to give them a steady stream of payments when they need it that are going to continue to be either equal or continue to go up beating inflation. Um, but they're going to have the upside of the market to be able to actually capture some of the growth of the market, but no downside risk like variable annuities have. So oftentimes that's a really good tool to solve for some of our clients who need guaranteed income and they don't have a pension. How about index annuities and index uh, universal life insurance, which has a similar protection against the downside, but some upside as well? Yeah, and those are, those are often great tools that we'll utilize. Sometimes we'll be doing that for um, being able to solve for the healthcare piece as well. Um, maybe it's a great place sometimes for people to park some money and utilize insurance as a, as a separate asset class to be able to kind of use it as a Roth alternative and things of that nature. There's a lot of different ways to be able to, to kind of stitch these pieces together. You also have talked about Social Security. Uh, it's getting to the point we have like 10,000 people a day yeah. hiring, adding more people to Social Security roles and not as many workers supporting it. Are you concerned about the long-term viability of Social Security? Am I concerned? I mean, yeah, I think it's reasonable to be concerned about it. Um, am I uh, thinking like some people are like, oh, well, it's going to be gone in 30 years? No, I think that there's just going to be continual adjustments. You know, right now up to 85% could be taxed. Well, eventually they'll probably tax it all. And then eventually, you know, they'll start reducing benefits. They'll start doing things to be able to at least keep something going in and start to adjust for this challenge. But I mean, it's just, it's crazy, Jordan, because if you think about it, when Social Security came online in 1935, people were getting it paid out at 65 and their life expectancy was 62. Yeah. It wasn't expected to have life expectancy in the upper 80s, but people still get paid out at, you know, anywhere between 66 and 67. You know, so something's got to give. And for all of you out there, I mean, you've got to know that you don't want Social Security to make up more than about 39% of the income you need coming into the household. And so that means there's got to be planning outside of that that's going to be able to fill in that additional gap. But for many people, it's way more than that. Quite a few people, it's 100% oh, of the income. Right, absolutely. And that's why so many people are living below the poverty line once they're um, you know, in their 80s, 70s and 80s. So you think as the baby boom, which is whatever, 72 million people, gets fully in retirement, it's already there to some extent, but fully gets there, that they'll just increase taxes or reduce benefits or something, but it, it's not going to kind of crush, be crushed by its own weight. No, I don't. I, I think that if, if they just all of a sudden one day it was eliminated, I think the far-reaching consequences of that would be absolutely astronomical. So I think it would be this kind of pare down over time to, I don't know, maybe eventually it just gets eliminated, but... You know, I, it just, I, I just can't see it being something that, that people would be okay with just one day being gone. And the other thing people talk about is Medicare, that they think that has more financial risk sooner than Social Security. What is your evaluation of the financial status of Medicare? Well, I certainly know the largest amount of cost shifting in our history has been occurring recently, and that's those things that used to be covered by Medicare. And now they're just being shifted back to the, to the individual because... I mean, you think about it, 
it, it's just it, it's just like Social Security it wasn't designed for the for the longevity of people, but so many people still having to stop working. Uh, about you know, what's the statistic? I think I think it's sixty two percent of people who expected to work past retirement um, don't because of medical. So it's a huge risk if we think we're going to work longer to be able to make sure we have the money. But then you you, you deal with this challenge of well, how do I pay for for the extra money that now is going to be back on me if copays and deductibles and things to you know for mobility. I mean, Fidelity did a study not too long ago where a a couple age 65 average health is estimated to spend about $360,000 in retirement on things not covered by Medicare. That's not long-term care. That's just the out-of-pocket cost. So again, these things have to be planned for. And and truthfully, um, you know, longevity and health, so much of that responsibility really does fall on us as the individual taking care of ourselves. Because 70% of our longevity is based on how we treat ourselves, and that 30% is genetics. So that just means we've got to we've got to make sure we have a plan for self care to be able to pay for that instead of medical. So is the solution for all this Medicare for all? Then everybody will be covered. There'll be no issues. <laughs> you know what? I don't. I I don't really have a good logical answer to that. <laughs> So uh, we have about two minutes to go. Why don't you kind of sum up what we've talked about, particularly as it relates to women and what people can do to avoid the problems you're seeing there for women and their finances? Well, first and foremost, you need to get educated. You have to take a level of responsibility. There are great resources out there. Um, David Bach, a great friend of mine, wrote Smart, Smart Women Finish Rich, and that's a seminar of his that I also give and that is a great resource, but you've got to open books. You've got to read them. You've got to go to the library and check out a book and have this dialogue and get educated. We cannot bury our head in the sand. I have been guilty of doing that and relying on other people to take care of me. And it's not healthy. It's not good. So we've got to make sure that we're getting educated, that you're, um, there's great podcasts, there's great um, resources out there and understanding the basics, making sure that if you have a company plan that you are putting as much money into that as you can. On average, a woman should be putting about 14% of her income into a company plan, 401k, a 403b, you know, TSP, things of that nature. So being able to save and then company matching and making sure you're paying yourself first. That's the beauty of a company plan. It takes the money out first before the IRS gets it. Um, So all of these pieces are really important. And then finding a great financial advisor that you trust, that when you talk to them, they make you feel comfortable, that they don't use words that go over your head and um, make you feel, you know, inadequate. And so that takes a little bit of time. It takes time, it takes effort, but it's worth it. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Arwen Becker. She's a financial advisor and owner of Becker Retirement Group based in Bellevue, Washington. You can find out more about her and her website at BeckerRetirement.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Arwen. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.